If you're a fan of big ideas, debate, and politics, check out our festival partner, Geopolitical Magazine Foreign Policy. A forum for informed debate about global affairs, foreign policy keeps a finger on the pulse of world news and political happenings. Beyond articles that delve behind the headlines via traditional reporting, Foreign Policy has so many other products to offer, ensuring that no matter how you like to engage with eye-opening content, there is a method for you. Check out their free offerings, like Foreign Policy Live, their forum for live journalism, newsletters, and podcasts. And with a subscription, unlock in-depth features and quarterly magazines, including their recently dropped spring edition, All About India. Fans of IAI will love Foreign Policy for more of the mind-expanding, insightful content that they seek. To explore their content, take advantage of an exclusive discount for IAI fans. Subscribe now using promo code LIGHT24 to save 50% and unlock access to everything Foreign Policy has to offer. This episode of Philosophy for Our Times was recorded live at the Institute of Art and Ideas annual festival, How the Light Gets In. Early bird tickets have just gone on sale for How the Light Gets In 2018. Join us next May to debate the most cutting-edge ideas of our time with the world's leading thinkers. For more information and tickets, see the festival website at howthelightgetsin.iai.tv. That's howthelightgetsin.iai.tv. Welcome to Philosophy for Our Time. Facts are assertions. From the Institute of Art and Ideas. We examine every aspect of contemporary thinking. What is love? Is it real? Is democracy illusory and incoherent? Finding cracks in the way we understand the world. I think there is a crisis of values. Realism has failed. We debate the way forward with today's leading thinkers. We're all trying to understand what the hell is going on. A live podcast production from the Institute of Art and Ideas. Being a real man used to be about courage, grit and determination. But in a metrosexual age of empathy and softness, the story is getting blurred. Is the real man a fantasy we should be pleased to see relegated to history along with the Marlborough ads? Or are these qualities that women still want and society still needs? Let's begin uh, with Julie Bindle. I don't believe in the concept of a real man or a real woman because I think as a feminist uh, and as a socialist, gender roles are socially constructed. They're not biologically determined. And people willfully, I think, and sometimes ignorantly, conflate sex and gender. And it was quite interesting when I was in the green room just now. Somebody came up to me very interested in what we were talking about. And I said, I don't believe that there's such a thing as a real man. Why, he said. Well, because I believe that sex roles uh, are a social construct. And he said, but my penis isn't a sex role. <laughs> and I said, no, that's your biology. And this was a really well-educated, bright man who could not see that sex and gender were different. If, if we think <laughs> about what a real man is, I mean, I've seen that there are a few beards in here, but fewer than there were last year when most of you were walking around looking like 18th century carpenters, <laughs> or like you were from Hoxton, which is kind of the same thing. <laughs> And, and yet, if you, if you were to say that a real man is rugged and bearded, many progressives in this room, and I think we probably all are, would say, no, 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 that's so old-fashioned. Things have moved along from there. But when you ask them what a real man therefore is today, you would still find people clinging on to the notion of a prescribed gender role. 
And of course, in order to have a real man, you've got to have a real woman. Now, I am in no way a real woman. And I get told this all the time. <laughs> because I don't wear the trappings of femininity. And if we've got courage and strength and logic, no doubt, which is supposed to be the real man bit, what does that say about women? We're cowardly, we're thick, uh, and we, we obviously can't change a light bulb, which in my case is true. Rowan Pelling. Uh, well, I suppose like um, any parent who's only had boy children, and I really did do that thing of sort of saying, no, my sons can have a doll's house. I went out and I bought one, and, you know, and I got a fort at the same time, but some beautiful princesses. And then one day I went to my son, where, is, where have the princesses gone? He just, they're in the dungeon. Yeah. We're not having any girls there. And, and of course, I have noticed, because in my family, generally, with my brothers and sisters, the preponderance of girl children. I'm the only one who's got not only one boy, but two boys. My household is different. It is funny, but it is violent. It is violent in a way that none of my siblings' households are. There's just kind of constant hair-pulling, shouting. And this, this, I say this in a household where my younger son is the only one in a, two years, 130 children, who, when they did a play called Pirates and Mermaids, my younger one was the only boy to be a mermaid yeah. <laughs> in the entire school. So I'm, I wouldn't normally quote Norman Tebbit. <laughs> um, <laughs> but he said, men like Churchill, Attlee and Bevan were real men with real depth of experience. They hadn't gone from school to university to being a special advisor to working in an ad agency, and then he also brought in Ed Miliband. And there was something that one knew about this. You did feel about most of the leaders of these parties. You did feel, in some sort of unformed way, they won't quite do. And I think what you're thinking about at that moment, this is what I'm thinking, I'm thinking the apocalypse is coming. You know, you've got to sort of live in this thing when you choose someone else to be in your life, you've got to think, what if things go really wrong? What if the world collapses? And I sort of think, yeah, I am prepared to fight for my children. I'm prepared to get out there and be brave. But I don't want to find, then, that I'm with a man <laughs> who's sort of saying, oh, no, uh, actually, I, I, I'm a little bit uh, worried about this. Would you, would you get out there in front? Because I've never sort of operated the flamethrower. <laughs> I sort of think I can be Sigourney Weaver, you know, if somebody else out there is prepared, you know, maybe to help me build the shelter, to skin the rabbit and kill it, even if he's a vegan. Fine, I'll yeah. live with a vegan, but can he help me uh, kill a rabbit? Will he not use moisturizer? I mean, I, I know I have these, these, these sort of remnant bits of prejudice. Still, some bit of me thinks there is something wonderful about a man who says women and children first. And I look for this sort of moral courage, and I think that's what's needed, but it can be very elastic. What do we mean by, by, by you know, a British man? What do we export to the rest of the world? We don't actually export a macho culture. We export Doctor Who and, you know, Benedict Cumberbatch as Sherlock Holmes. Our real men are wonderfully ambiguous and ambivalent, but they do represent this kind of courage. I'm saying David Bowie in Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence, he's my idea of a real man. He'll be good in the apocalypse. We need to feel in some way that there is a sort of idea of masculinity that we can adhere to, particularly when you're bringing up boys who are a bit lost. Diane Abbott. Maybe it's because I've spent a working life surrounded by middle-aged men. When I first entered Parliament, <laughs> 20 women, 630 men. But I don't romanticise masculine qualities in the way that Rowan does. <laughs> um, but no, you know, the notion of a real man exists in popular culture. It would be silly to deny that. What I'm going to say is we should be, as the economic 
and social underpinning of that notion of real manhood are gradually evolving and evaporating. So what do we mean by real man in popular culture? I mean, what used to make a British man used to be earning, providing, belonging. Sadly, um, this gold standard has melted away into taking, owning, consuming. It's what links the gang member in Hackney with his cupboard full of stolen trainers to the malpractices of some of the city traders in the city of London. It's what my friend Harriet Harman said. If layman brothers had been called layman sisters, would we have had the same awful crash? So my argument is that there is such a thing as a real man in popular culture, but we're moving away from it. Frankly, the sort of blue-collar jobs that existed, you know, 40 years ago, people like my father, no longer exist. And that notion of manhood around protecting and earning no longer exists. So fewer men, I think, are able to connect the fabric of their lives to those archetypes. I want to make the point that actually... This real man concept is not very good for men. It's certainly the case that men continue to earn more than women in the workplace and still are likely to be more senior. But men are paying very heavy costs for the real man concept and for patriarchy, bluntly. They're paying heavy costs in shallow relationships, poor health and early death. In 2012, the Office for National Statistics said the average male life expectancy was 78 years. The average Female life expectancy was 82 years. Suicide, substance abuse, antisocial behaviour, disappearing from home, homelessness, a variety of behavioural problems, personality disorders, you're more likely to find them in men than women. And analysis of cancers that men and women share by cancer research shows that men are 56% more likely to develop these cancers and 67% more likely to die. And suicide is the single most common cause of death in men under 35. I put it to men, even men who are very invested in their masculinity and being real men, that you are paying a very high price for patriarchy. Serena Kuczynski. Uh, well, I think, you know, everything that Diane was saying about this sort of crisis of masculinity is very interesting and in some ways very valid, but is also a set of specific socio and economic problems and issues. And I think the overarching concept of a crisis of masculinity, that's slightly premature. Real man, for me, is very much alive and possibly kicking a football around the fringes of modern society. He's there, latent within even the most metrosexual of males. To me, I see that as proof of the real man concept and its longevity. Real man is an evolutionary idea, adapting to fit a society where gender equality is increasingly a key focus. But for real man to fully emerge from his sensitive new man shell, we feminists need to stop blaming him for the sexist sins of his fathers. We need men to realize that it's okay to exude masculinity, just not to act like lager loutish misogynists. Real man, to me, doesn't need to call himself a feminist for us to know that he believes in gender equality. There's also evidence, according to a survey by a US psychotherapist, Laurie Gottlieb, that too much gender fluidity in marriages can lead to a loss of sexual desire. In attempting to become too gender equal, we have, in some senses, become gender neutered. My message to real men 
and potential real men, is that just as first and second wave feminists risk life and limb in the fight for female equality, real man needs to get out there on the barricades, burn his boxer shorts, and focus on finding himself. I believe this supposed crisis of masculinity can be averted if real man learns how to man up. The traditional concept of the real man. We, let's just flesh it out a little bit and say pretty clearly whether these qualities that are associated with the real, traditional real man are of any use. We'll get on to what real men might become or whether we shouldn't even have that, but just for now, let's try to clarify what we think this concept that we either don't like or do like even is. You were reasonably clear about it, actually. Let Diane, me just say, the in. qualities that people attribute to quote-unquote real men are not in themselves qualities without value. You know, what I object to is saying that physical daring is about men mm -hmm. as opposed to women. What I object to is, you know, bravery is about men mm -hmm. as opposed to women. These are all good qualities, but mm -hmm. in 2015, surely we're moving beyond a society where one set of qualities belongs to men and another set of qualities belong to women. And women are imprisoned, actually, by their perceived, either their yeah. perceived lack of those qualities or yeah. when, they, when they have those qualities, in the workplace or in politics, they're seen as bullying, ball aggressive, ball-breakers. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. But, yeah. but Diana, specifically, neither of us said that. And I was saying, I want to be Sigourney Weaver. I just don't want to turn around and find exactly. that when I've you know, kicked some ass, the other person going, oh, sorry, I don't really want to know what to do. I can't get my revolver started. So what you're saying exactly is that you want a, an equal. And, and I also do think it's really important here saying, my experience, anyone else bringing up sons, is that just generally, I'm sorry, it is a bit different. So as much as I want to be like, my brain is just the same, I'm just as daring, I am seeing practically from the moment of birth, not in a very stereotypical way, as I said, my younger son is all sorts of things, a bit like Russell Brand, to be honest. <laughs> you know, he wants to be a mermaid, but he is also so physical. And I see in the class, he's at a big state school, who are the children being diagnosed with attention deficit disorder? It's nearly all boys. And there is, there is a question here. I don't like talking about the feminization of teaching because I can see some girls who would benefit from this too. But you do think for some kids, it would be better if they were learning while they were given a break <coughs> every 10 minutes to sort of climb up some rungs. So, just to, uh, um, Julie, well, so you're saying that you're disagreeing explicitly with Julie here about whether or not gender, gender, think, think as to use your distinction, is to some extent natural or you know, unavoidable, how do you respond? Gender is a social construct. And the bravest people I know are feminists in Pakistan, Saudi Arabia, the UK, wherever. And actually, I wouldn't want a wuss as a best friend who wouldn't be there fighting my corner, protecting me. I certainly don't need a man to do that. I need a brave human being and a brave person. That's what I need. And as a lesbian, actually, I've just been told that my sex life is utter shite because we've gender neutralized everything. But there you go. <laughs> <laughs> But I have to absolutely agree uh, with Diane, you might be surprised to hear, um, <laughs> that, that feminists, radical feminists, I think in particular, are men's best friends. You might think that sounds really odd, but we are the only ones who say, you are born babies, you are not born rapists, you are not born to be macho, you are not born to beat or rape women, you are not born to want to dominate or frighten or bully women. You are born babies, and actually we think that even if you've got to that stage, which some men have, because of the power you're given under the patriarchal masculine ideal, we still think 
that you can change. We still think that you are decent human beings, but what you've been given is the power, the masculine power, to see us as the feminine polar opposites. So really, next time you hear a radical feminist on TV, even if it's me, don't turn off men, just think, we're your best friends. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose the point I was trying to make is that women have been in the minority. We've had to fight for equality. We have lots of inspiring, empowered female feminist icons from the suffragettes onwards. Men don't have these real man role models. They don't have... What? <laughs> they don't have some... Well, they, don't, they haven't learned how to be modern, real men. This is my point. They've, they've been told that being macho and aggressive and loutish is wrong. That's bad. That has to be kicked into touch. And then they don't want to be, on the other hand, too sensitive and too feminized. They need guidance to work out how to be in the middle, how to be a modern, real man to cope and move forward in today's society and not be ashamed of being masculine when it's appropriate to be masculine. What you're saying in some sense, Diane, is that there is a dearth of good role models for young men. Young men growing up with absent fathers, they don't have strong role models. They don't know who to aspire to. That is where modern, real man can actually really slot into today's society. That's the point I'm trying to make. Do you want to hear more from the world's leading thinkers? If the answer to that question is yes, subscribe to IAI.TV for unlimited access to thousands of debates, talks, articles, academy courses and live events. Are you bored of the surface level news, politics, sports and entertainment coverage on your newsfeed? Go deeper, get the philosophy behind the news and get the latest big ideas from the world's leading thinkers on subjects at the core of the human condition, life, the universe and everything in between. It's free for the first month and there's no commitment to pay, so subscribe now to understand the world beyond the surface level. Uh, Julie, I'm going to come back to you again because I think we're, there's an interesting issue here, uh, which is you're saying that there's a kind of physical man, no, and, and, but that in gender terms, it's very uh, culturally constructed, and behavioural patterns are culturally constructed. You're born a baby. You, but you know, some people say that behavior is somewhat driven by hormonal factors and so on. You know, Which scientists disagree levels. with. You, you know, evolutionary psychologists disagree with. Darwinists even no. disagree some, with. Some, some. Well, you know, no, 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 I mean, there are those within all of those so disciplines. So you, you do, well, I'm just trying to, you do reject that view that, for example, men are naturally more aggressive. Uh, more ris more risk-taking. So you see all that as socially constructed. Of course. I mean, of course hormones drive some behavior. Of course, that's, that's a given. But if you think about the way that hormones uh, are used to justify all kinds of constructed behaviours, you know, such as women whose clocks are ticking and they're desperate to have babies and this is natural, and when the baby's born, they know what to do with them. How many women have been found through social research by the likes of Share Height and loads of other sociologists that most women who have babies neither desperately desired to have them in the first place, nor knew necessarily what to do with them when they came out, nor necessarily bonded with them. And that, of course, men have been told this isn't your role, which suits them down to the ground, because it's far better that men take a back step when it comes to childcare and housework, which they still haven't really progress very much further on at all. It's something like a minute per year mm -hmm. of increased childcare and housework. 
So yes, hormones can make a difference when you're going through puberty and the like, but men aren't predisposed to be aggressive or rape. This is something that's used to excuse men of raping and being aggressive, and of women to be the victims and the recipients of that. Because remember, if they're born to be aggressive, we're born to be passive. And what does that say about our, our, our chances in life? Dan, just on this mm -hmm. narrow Isn't topic it? about whether or not men have what you might call hardwired behavioural tendencies or distinctive behavioural tendencies, men, do you, which side of, are you on on this topic? On balance, I'm on Julie's side, just because I think that having patriarchy and the inevitability of gender as an organisation, organising principle in your society, just creates so much unfairness and oppression. As I try to indicate in the physical consequences of patriarchy for men, it's, it's oppression, not just for women, which is obvious, domestic violence and killing of women in the home and so on, but it's actually oppressive of men and bad for their health. Mm -hmm. Patriarchy is bad for men, that's mm. my thesis. Uh, well, this brings us nicely on to what the next theme that I want to explore. Y you're suggesting that it's kind of an option that we might get rid of gender roles or, or formalise gender roles. Well, at least that it's possible. I mean, it's got to be possible first. It's so a longer term so project. I want to explore this. So two things. A, do you, and again, I think there's some disagreement here. Do you think it's possible that we get rid of gender roles so that society does not have established, clear kind of gender roles? Is it possible and is it desirable? Um, I'll, uh, I'll start with... Um, Yes, I think Julie's argument is really interesting and actually we were having a long debate about exactly this in the pub last night but I'm just not sure exactly what we mean. I mean, are we moving towards a gender-neutered society? Does that mean that men and women can't enjoy and revel in our difference? I mean, there's the physical difference but the reason that men are stereotyped more as rapists is because physically <coughs> they are, tend to be stronger than women. It's not actually a mentality issue, it's that they have more physical ability to hold and down and suppress women because of our biology. That's the minority of rapes, Serena, you know that. That's the minority of rapes where women are held down and forced. That is the stranger in the park. True, that, but that's I'm saying... That's the mass rapist. Absolutely, but I'm saying the stereotype comes in some senses from but, uh, our physical sorry, differences. You're not quite addressing the question uh, that I want to address, which is, uh, is it possible that we could do away with gender I roles, just, I just don't and is it desirable? I don't desirable. think it's desirable. I, I enjoy being a woman. I enjoy being feminine. I mean, do you think it's possible to have a society with no Well, I think it'd be really boring. Roles? It's what make difference is what makes life interesting. You could still get someone to take the rubbish out for you. <laughs> can you not, can you, either of you on this side, and I'll leave it to either of you, not see, can you see any reasons that might be desirable to have conventions of roles based on, on gender? Can you see any kind Look, of case for this? What you or anyone else might desire is one thing. Not but we are not <laughs> living in a society where physical strength and patriarchy, only men get to be solicitors. Those are not the organising principle of our society. So to hanker after a world where men occupy one set of roles and women occupy another set of roles, largely at home, is to turn your face against history. I'm not quite in Julie's position. I don't think in my lifetime we're going to get rid of gender roles altogether, <laughs> but I do think it is better for both men and women and for young people growing up that we start to move away from those stereotypical gender roles. They are a prison. Actually, actually I, mean, I sometimes think, as always in these debates, we're not listening, because uh, that's exactly what I think in practice. I really have to say that the idea that I think boys are somehow born 
with the sort of violence that oppresses women and leads to rape. That is not what I'm saying. I'm talking about a sort of energy that I observe daily in my children that is different, say, and, and my, t my sister, who's a TA at the local school, all the teachers would say that, all the women, they're all feminists. This is Cambridge, this is the most liberal place on the planet. Not one of them would say that there is indifference, which is not to say that's a generalization. Clearly, there are girls who um, exhibit far more sort of boy-like tendencies, boys who, who want to do, you know, they do want to be with the dolls. That's clearly, there's a very fluid range. I'm just talking about a generalization and where you see trouble manifest itself. And of course, you can be flexible with this stuff. I think it's desirable that people can enact the role they want to. You know, if, if you're a man who really wants to, you know, sort of his favorite thing is needlework, you should be able to do that. If you're a woman who doesn't want to do any housework, and I'm certainly one of them. I, I famously, when I was young, I sort of announced that I was never going to be like my mother, never do housework, <coughs> never cook, and largely, I never have. I have always been with men who are far more competent around the house than me. I'd still say that all of them in some way fulfill my category of being a real man. That's why I'm trying to take it outside these narrow boundaries. I was talking about what we in Britain are so famous for, these incredibly, I think, fluid men. So I think you can be a real man, I think comes back to this, this idea of capability and moral courage, which is important in men and women. And that's why I say you do, you sort of fight for this brave new world together. But who gives a fuck, frankly, who does the housework? This is so irrelevant, I feel. Uh, Everyone should well, be able to do it. Yeah. Th there's <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> but but that's, but that's not happening because we are rooted. It's in my household. But, but, it's not, but there's no point talking about individual men and individual relationships. There is no point. You call it gender roles. I call it a system of oppression that's backed up by the legal system, the every single system that we operate under. I remember when my partner went away on holiday a few years ago, the light bulb popped in the living room and I sat for 10 days, literally in the dark, more or less. Because I, I can't change a light bulb, not because I'm a silly woman, but because we all gravitate towards things that we've been enabled to do, maybe when we're growing up. And to suggest that girls, I know it's stupid, I've never <laughs> changed a plug either, but I do do lots of other things, <laughs> the washing up. You're not coming to the apocalypse <laughs> with me, you're not. <laughs> but if you, if you actually talk about girls who play, you know, mainly with, with dolls and boys who play with trucks and are violent around the home, even at six months old, you're forgetting the external factors that have been there since even in the womb. You know, it actually has an effect. It's not just you as a parent that's saying, here's a blank slate. Look, he's gravitated towards guns. That must be that there's something innate about gender. There isn't. Just one final question on this matter. <laughs> I've encountered quite often an argu arguments in favor of having more uh, women in positions of power and representation on boards and management committees and so on. And the argument has been that that's needed and that's good for the business because women really are different. This is one of the common arguments, right? And you get a blend of kind of ideas, you get different perspectives and that's, a, that's why it's a healthy thing. But on your view, that's just nonsense. Is, is that because, there's, is that right? Or am I misinterpreting? It's, it's right to have more women in <coughs> politics, in the city and whatever, because it's right to have a society which is just and takes account of everyone's talents. It makes for stronger business, stronger politics, a stronger society. It's right because it's just. And of course, people are different. And the argument shouldn't be for those of us who say, well, aren't there more women at an indigenous society? The argument is for people saying, there's nothing wrong with having a society run by men. You've got to explain that. I'd have to explain mm -hmm. why society should be fair mm -hmm. and access everyone's talents, regardless of gender. 
It's a deeply sexist notion, this whole thing that girls and women tame boys and men. If you introduce them to a male-dominated workplace, school, playgroup, it's because, of course, girls are told, be careful, don't speak over people, speak less. I mean, I was doing a Sky late-night paper review. It's a half-an-hour thing where you have a discussion with somebody. Usually it's a, it's a right-wing man on with me, so it's a left-wing <laughs> woman. And, you know, we obviously disagree with things in the headlines and stuff. And it was a really good programme. We both got on very well. He was a courteous opponent. And later I heard that the producer had said, we're not having her on again. She talked over him, she dominated the programme, and she interrupted. And we did a frame-by-frame -frame analysis and he talked for 67% of the time. He interrupted me 11 times, I interrupted him twice. So that's what we're talking about, where women are supposed to be civilised and civilising addition to men. Right, let, now, I, just before, I want to quickly from each of you, can you paint a picture of the real man, or just the man, you'd like to see in the future, the kind of model for masculinity? I'll be uh, quick, a human being. Okay. <laughs> The people I'd like to see in the future, regardless of whether men or women, should have physical daring and, and feel comfortable in their bodies, should have empathy, and shouldn't be frightened to show all they can do, all their talent. I would like to see modern real man asserting himself with confidence, just as modern real woman is learning to assert herself with confidence as well. I don't know whether any of you saw the Grand Budapest Hotel, but I've sort of come to the conclusion that um, Gustav H, the maitre d' there is my idea of the perfect, um, <laughs> the real man, because he's, uh, you know, he can sort of cut up a grapefruit correctly, he can act as a trained assassin, he is so gentlemanly that he will make love to a woman who's sort of 85. Everything about him, in any scenario he was placed, it was very interesting to see that he was none of these macho ideas. A real not macho at all, but he was glorious. And I sort of think almost anyone, man, woman, would like to spend some time with him. We hope you enjoyed this podcast, brought to you by the Institute of Art and Ideas. So, do you think real men deserve a place in society? Let us know by tweeting at IAI underscore TV with the hashtag RealMen. If you enjoy the Philosophy for Our Times podcast, then you can leave a review on iTunes.